you know, you spend so much time and things are happening and you're growing and COVID's going on and you have to hire 14 million new CSRs to deal with curbside, but you spend all that time just reacting to all of that. And so it's a really big challenge to get in front of it and see where you're going and be proactive about it. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, Positive Leaders. Welcome to another episode. We are so excited to have a rock star on the show. Jade Quigley is the Chief Operations Officer at Animal Emergency and Referral Center of Minnesota. She holds an MBA. She's a certified veterinary technician, a certified veterinary practice manager, CVPM, and a senior professional in human resources, SPHR. Jade, welcome to the Positive Leadership Podcast. Welcome, Jade. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. So we do not like to read stuffy bios on the podcast. So please tell us about yourself, your background, what you've been up to, and kind of where you got to yourself today. Sure. Well, I am in Minnesota, and I'm a Minnesota native. I always thought I would move away when I was a kid, but of course, um, and I grew up and realized it was awesome. So I have always been here. Always wanted to be a veterinary technician ever since I was a little kid. I can remember the first time somebody told me that was a thing when I declared that I couldn't do eight years of college to be a veterinarian. But, you know, I graduated. I didn't end up going to school for that right away. I actually ended up taking a detour and I actually ran several record stores for several years. And that was really fun. And music was a passion of mine. But, you know, technology came along and I kind of saw the writing on the wall with MP3s and Spotify and everything else. So I was like, all right, well, let's do it. Let's just go to school. So I went to school and became a certified veterinary technician in 2007. I did three years in private practice in a feline only practice, which 
uh, made me pretty good at client communication because cat owners are definitely, it can be a different breed than dog owners sometimes. And I always thought emergency medicine was for people who were crazy, but I was invited to come apply for a job out here and we were animal emergency clinic at that point. We were ER only and I got hired and I worked several positions and just moved my way up in the company as we trans transferred over to Animal Medic Animal Emergency and Referral Center, Minnesota. And so while I was here, I went back to school to get my bachelor's in veterinary technology. Um, I took a teaching job at that school and taught the associates program. So I taught veterinary technicians for about four years. Uh, I just kept going and got my MBA while I was doing that. And then eventually got my CVPM and a couple of years ago, my SCHR, which was very challenging. And here we are. We've grown since I've been here. We've grown AERC from an ER only practice to having 11 specialties and about 65 doctors in 10 years. So, wow, wow. that's crazy. Incredible. It's been yeah. crazy, but I couldn't have asked to have landed in a better place. So. Oh, that's awesome. So, we always like to kind of get some, you know, kind of great, I guess, advice or, or suggestions from our guests about podcasts or books or CE courses that, you know, you've taken that have really left a lasting effect on you. It's a great way to share and give listeners something. So could you share one of those with us that just, you know, left its mark on you? Yeah. So I co-moderate in the Veterinary Leadership Book Club. So I've had the opportunity to read tons of great books over the previous years, but my favorite is still a book I read before that, which is The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. It's a really simple book. You could read it in a day and it doesn't necessarily seem like a leadership book, but it really taught me that there's usually a really simple solution to a very complex, complex problem. So that's my favorite book. And I tell everybody they need to read it. Yeah. Shout out to the uh, Veterinary Leadership Book Club. Is that the official title, right, Jade? But yeah, VLBC on Facebook. Yeah. And a shout out to Michael Shirley as well. I have uh, been... I think David does as well. We kind of stalk in the background and <laughs> read what everybody else is on there reading and taking the Cliff Notes version. But it's a great place to find some good resources for books to read. So yeah, good yeah. job on that. Yeah. And that. even those stalkers, like you don't even have to be reading the book. You can just get those right. little things every day. And yeah, totally. they're totally. great. So Jade, when Michael Shirley had introduced us and David had told me a little bit about you, I was taken aback by your title, Chief Operations Officer. Mm -hmm. And then I saw your credentials and I was like, all right, like I'm picking up what she's putting down there. But what the heck does an officer title indicate to our listeners? Because when I read that, I was like, what the heck does she do all day long? Because I, I speak you're crazy in the fact that I know I have a similar education, you know, background mm -hmm. and, and probably experience there working in specialty and emergency, but we don't have those types of titles in regular practices. Yeah. So tell us what that title means. Yes. So you know, back in, I think, 2012, we were struggling, like a lot of practices, to sort of figure out what our culture was. And we got a consultant and, you know, he kind of taught us he wasn't in veterinary medicine. And he was like, you guys are a business. Like, you have to stop thinking about yourselves, you know, as this veterinary practice in only this veterinary world. And he kind of reminded us, like, businesses have 
financial departments, operations, sales and marketing, you know, he's like, that's what they have. And so we didn't really buy into it at first, but as we grew and evolved, we decided to go to that model because it really helped us to create accountability. And so when you have officers, you have people that as you grow can really just focus on growing that one area. So I get to focus on just operations and what operations is, is producing, you're in charge of producing that product that the client gets. And in a manufacturing facility, that's pretty easy. In a veterinary facility, it's, you know, I'm in charge of making sure that the service goes out and the medicine goes out and the communication is there. And that's what the client needs. I don't have to worry about marketing or social media or the P&L. Like there are officers, a chief financial officer and a chief marketing officer for that. And we have a chief medical officer as well. Yeah. And when I think of operations, I think of like the client patient flow through the practice and making sure that the patient visit and the client visit are are what they're supposed to be. Is that what operations means? Yeah, we have a proven process. So every client that comes in, we can say like, this is exactly what you can expect every time. You can expect the referral, the consultation, the therapy, the documentation, and to return to your regular veterinarian. And that's the formula. That's the product that works every time. Okay. And so if that's like, I could see that you like, when you pick up something at the store, you purchase something and it's, it's the same exact thing every single time. Like you eat an Oreo cookie, it's the same Oreo cookie like every single time. So you're looking mm-hmm. for that consistency within the patient client fellow. Yeah. So what does your day look like then when you are trying to run around to make sure the Oreos made the same way? It's a little bit crazy. You know, we are lucky enough to have these officer titles in these buckets, but we don't have, you know, like a chief IT officer and HR and things like that yet. So I have IT, HR, just general operations that has like, you know, inventory and things like that under it. So all those buckets are sort of under me, the support team, all of that. So my day is a lot of just supporting those directors and managers that are in those positions. So going around, checking in, see what they need. Are they meeting their objectives? What can I do? There's always several fires to help them put out. And then I check in with my CEO and the other officers and we, you know, do our meetings or discuss our challenges or discuss our next steps, you know, deal with the different relationships, the vendors, dive into projects. So it's a lot, it's a lot of what everybody does. It's just on a bigger scale. Mm. It's just more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. I bet. And there's yeah. only one of you, right? So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So a lot of it is yeah. supporting people. We have a... A little surprised about a year ago, we have a kennel attendant and I didn't know her, you know, we have 300 people and she emailed me and, you know, she said, I'm, I'm the kennel attendant and I've been here since, you know, for six months now and I intend to one day do your job. And so 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 she said, I want to come and shadow you. And I was like, that's so great. And then I was like, what is she going to do? sitting here for eight hours. It's like, <laughs> you're going to see me check a lot of emails. Right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, but that's yeah. funny because it leads into my next like thought, which is, so you have 300 employees. I mean, I, I almost want to just give that a moment to resonate because I think right, a lot of huge. our listeners imagine that you are full, you know, racked with stress and pulling your hair out and, you know, all of these crazy things. Obviously you probably have a team that helps you execute on a 
you know, daily basis. Mm-hmm. But 300 employees is, is hard to, to even fathom. So leading an organization like that must be really challenging. And, and I don't mean challenging in a negative way, like challenging, like it can be done, but there's going to be some, you know, unique challenges that you face. So thinking about it from your seat, because we really want to, I think, in this podcast, really want to, you know, look at these kind of, I mean, let's call it C-suite, right, type of positions for veterinary managers, you know, operators, technicians, like whoever, you know, whoever's in that seat, the unique challenges face that yes, for sure, you know about and hear about some of the fires, but you probably don't have to put out every single fire, you know, yourself. Mm -hmm. So what are some challenges you specifically in your lane deal with? Maybe like pick like one or two and let's obviously, you know, change the names and like, you know, change the event, but like whatever you can disclose so that our listeners get an idea of what it's like to run such a a massive organization and be in your leadership seat. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the major challenge that I face is just managing the growth because, you know, you spend so much time and things are happening and you're growing and COVID's going on and you have to hire 14 million new CSRs to deal with curbside, but you spend all that time just reacting to all of that. And so it's a really big challenge to get in front of it and see where you're going and be proactive about it. For me, that's a big challenge is remembering, you know, mm. like, here we are, where, where are we going to be in six months? Like, get out of, get out of that today mindset, get mm-hmm. your mind in that seat for six months from now and figure out what you have to do mm-hmm. to get there. And so I think that growth is probably my main challenge in supporting my different managers and team members through that. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to, to coach them and get out of that. This is the way we've always done it. You know, realizing that it, what feels like still that same old culture, maybe to me and to some other people on the admin team. That's not what the new people coming in feel and trying mm-hmm. to remember, like these people just walked into a practice with three, 350 people. And to them, that's not, it's not what I see. That's not what they see. And mm-hmm. so really remembering, just trying to keep that all in perspective, but it all comes back to growth and trying mm-hmm. to just figure that out, mm-hmm. um, I would say is my biggest challenge. So you're almost scaling your organization and maybe it's not going from like Amazon, you know, two people in a garage to, you know, 10,000 employees like Apple, but you're, Mm -hmm. you're trying to add layers and dimensions as well as like frontline people and you're the one in that seat. So it makes a, you know, makes a lot of sense that that would be challenging. I wonder for you, I think it's really applicable to a lot of our listeners, what you're facing, because I think it's very similar not in the scale, right? Like, you know, instead of X to the like fourth where you're going, they're just X. Mm-hmm. But, yep. um, you know, I've worked with a lot of practices. So have Andrea where they've had, say, complete staff turnovers, you know, during COVID. And so there's kind of not only a new culture, but new ways that things are being done. And so what advice do you have for anybody who's in a position where, as you said, I would love for you to speak a little bit to that. How do you get your mind out of the yes, there's a fire, like there's an upset client and the receptionist doesn't know what to do, or there's a, you know, phone call on line two, or the power went out or, you know, something like Mm -hmm. that. Obviously, the power is a little more of an urgent issue, something like that, where you say, if I continue to live in that world, we will never take that step forward. So, you know, how would you coach or, you know, give some advice to our managers who really struggle with that of, of, you know, taking a day, a month, a week, a minute to look forward rather than, you know, staying in the rearview mirror? Sure. 
I think the big challenge for a lot of people is they can see like they can feel that box getting tighter and they can see like I need to do this big thing to fix this but they're so focused on like this is the big huge step I need to do and they don't think about it in these small milestones like you don't have to take that big step tomorrow you are where you are your staff is okay just break it down like what is the next step that you can do this week or what can you do this quarter to make sure that you're moving towards that goal to accomplish for your changing environment. And I think a lot of us just get so overwhelmed at the big thing we see that we need to do. Like, you know, I need to hire, you know, my staff turning over and now I need to hire, you know, three more technicians and five CSRs or whatever it may be for a small practice. And it's like, well, let's just get one. Let's just start with one technician or let's just start with posting that job ad or let's just start with stocking other clinics job at to see what they're doing. You're not going to bring in those people tomorrow. And so I think that's where people get stuck. They're so stuck on that huge picture. And we just need to get out of that and take a step back. Hmm. So David was talking to you, Jade, a little bit about leadership there. And I think in a position that you have, and the amount of staff and team members that you have on your team that has got to be difficult and a delicate balance there when you're delegating out to the people that report to you. So supervisors or just support Mm -hmm. staff in general and making sure that everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? There's got to be a ton of delegation out. Mm -hmm. And then also being able to report to who your superior is, right? To your boss and be able to say, Hey, I've got three managers that, you know, or one manager, one person, whoever it may be, that's not cutting the mustard or that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that can be very challenging and a fine line there. Can you talk and dive into a little bit about leading such a big team and delegating that and walking that line between delegation and making sure that they're getting done what they're getting done with a team that large? Sure. You know, we've really empowered a lot of our junior leaders to take control of their own departments and do all the things. But what we've learned is we have to be really careful about accountability and every single task and every single responsibility, every single responsibility, it all boils down to like at the end of the line, like who is accountable for that thing? Because if everybody or more than one person is accountable, if I have two client service managers, then nobody's accountable. Right. There's some blurred lines there. Yep. There's too many blurred lines. So we're very, very, you have to be so careful on saying this is your responsibility. Like this is your lane and it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to say, Hey, I'm driving in my lane, but I see like an apple tree over there and I really want to take a bite of it. And it's like, okay, (laughs) you know, it's okay. Let's like, let's take a little task and like stretch your legs a little bit. That's fine. But just remembering that there has to be somebody that knows that that is a thing that the buck stops with them. And, and you can delegate your things out. Like something might, something might be your responsibility, but say you have a few team leads under you, you can delegate those things out for them to grow. But at the end of the day, just remember it's up to you then to support them with that task and make sure that they have what they need. Good. So what does accountability look like to you, Jay? Because I think a lot of us, I think, are, you know, responsible and, you know, relatively good at our jobs because we've built up the skill set to do that and, and don't 
make a lot of mistakes. And I don't mean that that I'm perfect. I mean that because we've done the tasks over and over and have the wherewithal, like for example, if Andrea and I, and I or you and I were to handle an HR thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we could make a mistake, but we're probably not going to because we're so well versed in that. Doesn't mean we haven't made mistakes in the past, right? I'm not setting this up for that. But being accountable, especially if you're new at something, or even if you've been doing it a thousand years, you know, and something happens, how do you define and kind of hold your team members to accountability? And how do you model it yourself? You know, I think the way that we define and hold people accountable for things is we have to be really careful on documentation. So we have our management, different management groups have weekly meetings. And if you agree to get something done by the next week and be accountable for that task, it's written down so that the next week when we regroup, we say, you know, hey, Martha, did you research new sympathy cards? And then she says, yep, that's done or no, it's not done. So everybody's really aware of, and it's not to be shaming, it's just to keep everybody on task. Yep, I got that done or no, I'm going to get it done by next week. Oh, and if I don't get it done by next week, then we'll, ha- we'll ha- add it back to the list and talk about it again and see what my roadblock is. So we've got to be really careful that it's not all just off the fly, like Sally and Tom talk in the hallway, and then that never goes anywhere. I think when you have so many people, you just can't afford to do that, to not be organized. So that's kind of how we keep people accountable and keep things that they can refer back to. Um, And then we just make sure they have the resources that they need. I can't ask somebody to take charge of a task, but I haven't taught them that or I haven't provided them with a reference um, or a support system. I can't hold somebody accountable if I haven't done my part there. So Mm -hmm. I try to make sure everybody has what they need to get Mm -hmm. what I've asked them to do done. Mm -hmm. That's great. So like if we were to frame this in maybe the context of a slightly smaller practice, how do you see your role and compared to the role? So like a traditional practice might have office manager, practice manager, hospital manager, mm-hmm. maybe those things are kind of combined then. Um, and there's like a VHMA framework for this, but then there's a hospital administrator sometimes that, you know, is above that. And then that's, of course, all separate from the corporate structure or the ownership structure where typically, mm-hmm. like if it's a single doctor practice, they might, you know, be on paper. If it's like an S corp, they'll be the president or CEO or something, or if it's, you know, they could still be a CEO. And sometimes they don't, they're just being a doctor, but sometimes there will be somebody who's leading it. So how do you see your role, like compared to, and and not in a bad way, if you say these are like, this is how I work with my hospital, either manager or managers, I'm sure you have multiple kind of second line, Mm -hmm. you know, executive team members. And what would you see? And would you kind of think that veterinary practices could use and maybe not in a one doctor practice, maybe not even a two doctor practice, but a five, six or 10 doctor general practice, do you see a role um, for a COO? Yeah, I do. I mean, when I compare my role to a hospital manager in a smaller or medium sized practice, I feel lucky because I don't envy that person. They have, they have all the buckets and all the things and they're being pulled in a million directions. And I am too, but it's all relatively organized. And they are doing so much and I have so much respect for that because I have not run a small practice and I just cannot imagine getting it pulled in that many directions. And so like hats off to them because that's amazing. And I feel so lucky in my role that, that I can focus on one thing, even though it's not one thing, but 
I just think that that's great. But I do think that as your practice grows, there is room to step outside that veterinary view and say, this is a business. And at what point and do some research, like at what point do we determine that somebody is operations and somebody else is, you know, in charge of marketing or what have you. I definitely think that there's space for that. It's kind of up to each practice to determine what that looks like. I also think that I've seen a lot of practices in recent years go with leads. So they have their hospital manager and then they have like their client service lead and then their tech lead. And I think that's almost a smaller version of what we do in the C-suite. Like you have that sort of CEO and then this person does this and this person does this and the lines are very clear. And I'm so happy when I see that because then you can really have that delegation chain and that accountability chain and know, and the team knows this is where I go. So I think to a certain degree, medium-sized practices are already doing this. They just call it. And I would agree with you. I would agree with you too, Jade. I I know a few practices that I have instituted a director of operations Mm -hmm. and it's not quite the COO, but it's still that same concept of your job is to make sure that client patient flow through the practice is smooth, right? And don't worry about marketing and you're not doing payroll. And, you know, there's not these, all these different, there's still things being thrown out then, but like what you're saying, it's still organized. It's still within that person's lane. It still has to do with keeping the flow of the practice going for the day. Yeah. And I, yeah, I I see it. On a smaller level, like you're saying, a mid-sized practice, I see it in those mid-sized practices. And it's it's a different concept in that sense because the title is different. But, you know, what's in a title? It's all in the position of what are they actually doing all day? Yeah. And I, I like it when they have that sort of centralized, like, hospital manager and then there's leads or a director and there's managers under them. Because if you just sort of have, like, the practice owner and then those sort of two factions you kind of create a divide. And I like it when they have that central manager to bring those two teams together. Yes, right. They're bridging them together. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Bring that perspective of, you know, remind everybody there's another key to this and we're a team. So let's do the thing. Yeah, us, not not them. Yeah. Yeah. So you have been working in veterinary medicine obviously quite a long time and have kind of grown up with your practice, if you will, and seen the different changes in our profession and different positions in the practice. Can you talk a little bit about what you think some of the most significant challenges that veterinary leaders are facing? And I say veterinary leaders because I feel like you are in a position where you, of course, are a leader. You're not a hospital manager. You're not a hospital administrator. You're not a veterinarian. You're not a technician, although you have those credentials more of just veterinary leaders, regardless of what your title says you are, what are some of the challenges that we're facing? You know, I think the biggest challenge that we're facing right now, everybody's facing it, is veterinary medicine is just changing. Like it's different. COVID came and it left behind it. Like it just jumbled yes, everything right. up. <laughs> we're all just yeah. left going like, what just what happened? now? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And so I just think we need to you know, the expectations from clients are so high and the expectations from staff are higher and that's good. But we just need to accept that this is where we're living. This is the deal. And let's regroup and move forward and use this as a challenge. And 
stop assuming it's going to go back to the other the way it was before because it's not going to. And so I think that that's the biggest sort of challenge that any veterinary leader faces right now and teaching their teams like we have this big challenge, things have changed, we need to rework our systems because we're facing crisis after crisis, we're facing staffing crises and you know political crisis and all these different things. And so let's find a creative solution. Let's stop trying to just add bits to our current workflows and let's just like wipe the whiteboard off. Like right, let's make yeah. new workflows. Yeah. Well said. A complete new change. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like let's find a new system to do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, the majority of people don't deal well with change. And sure. yeah. a, a lot of people struggle to coach their teams through change. And so that's, you know, also a challenge, but we have to stop just trying to, to twist what we're doing to make it fit. Like right. start over in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Because, you know, like the staffing crisis exactly. in Minnesota, and I keep picking on it because it's just the biggest crisis. But in Minnesota, we used to have in the Twin Cities, five or six schools for veterinary technicians. And we did not have a technician shortage when everybody else was starting to have them. and those schools closed and now we oh, don't we have maybe oh, no. one yeah. or two and our pipeline really drives up mm-hmm. and they're not coming like the, they're not coming like they're mm-hmm. gone you know right. and so it's right. like let's look at the way we're doing staffing and the way mm-hmm. we're running the medical floor let's start over yeah what can we change right where can we delegate differently right. and so i think that's the big like what we need to do but it's hard Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the model worked for so long and was kind mm-hmm. of such a level of comfort. But you're right, if you're cooking, and you know, you're out of salt, but you've got, you know, a hungry family, you know, you got to give dinner to what are you going to do? What are you going to grab? You know, you're going to grab yep. rosemary or cinnamon or, you know, something else, but it isn't, you know, you can't just throw a tantrum, I hate to say it, but throw a tantrum because there, you know, there isn't salt. Yeah, there's no salt. And go to your, pr- like, everybody should have a network, right? Like, we should all... Amen, sister. Say it again for the people in the back. Yeah, we should should have a local managers group or maybe it's just one of those management groups on Facebook. But we should all have a network because Mm -hmm. we're not living in a tunnel like everybody else is having the same problem. And maybe the leader down the street has found a way around it or has found a new solution. Or maybe Mm -hmm. the person down the street tried something and it failed. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if right. you put yourself out there and you say like, hey, guys, what are you doing? Can we chat? Like, who has dealt with this? And they can say, don't do this. Right. I did it and it was not good. You mm-hmm. know, and don't yeah. reinvent the wheel. You know, if somebody yeah. else has done it, you know, use their model. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. for sure. There are networks yeah. out there. You just you have to find them. Yeah, for sure. I can't remember where I read this. Somebody, I think it was a psychologist was relating change to grief and it really is the death of how it used to be. That's what change really is. You know, the way that you liked it or enjoyed it. Some people, other people didn't, right? And so they're excited for change. But those that don't want change are really dealing with their own grief related to the way that it was done is is not going to go back. And I think you said it really well in that you're right. And really the world changed. And there's a lot of really interesting people and podcasts and YouTubes and stuff about kind of, you know, this acceleration into a different world, a different you know, 22 now, and a lot of places, you know, the remote work, but there's a million other things, and it's not going back, the world has changed, and we have to kind of get on board. And thinking in that frame, back to, you know, actionable, we love at the Positive Leadership Podcast to be actionable. So 
What are one or two things, Jade, that our listeners could, you know, we record these on Fridays, we release them on Wednesdays. So Thursday morning, you know, at 8 a.m. talking about like the 1% rule or taking uh, one bite out of an elephant. What are one or two things that you think our teams could implement in their practices, you know, that speak to more efficient processes, things that have obviously, you know, if it's proprietary, you can't release it, but things that may have worked at AERC or things that you think the industry should, you know, bring forward into really probably almost any veterinary clinic that's struggling with the big stuff, staffing, efficiency, you know, all of those things. Like what are one or two, you know, 1%, one foot forward kind of things they could they could put into place? Sure. I think there's a few things. So I think, and I touched on it earlier, I think just start thinking in terms of small milestones, like stop thinking about that big picture item, you know, look at, sit down and go, where, what do I want my staff or what do I want my practice to look like a year from today? And how can I split that in four? So what can I work on every quarter to try and get there? And if I don't get all the way there, it's okay. And then every quarter, what can I do every week? to just chip away at that. Like, let's just think in terms of what can I do this week? But I can see, I have it written down. I can see what I want to do a year from now, but how am I going to get there? Like, let's, I just, if you can do that, you can stop getting sort of stuck on that fear base. Like I'll never get this done. And another thing I think leaders especially could do is add a regular break. Just tomorrow, open your schedule and just say, you know, every Friday at 10 a.m., I'm going to leave the practice I'm going to go to the coffee shop and I'm going to bring, maybe I'm just going to bring a notebook, like don't bring your computer. And I'm just going to think, or I'm just going to sit there and I'm just going to sketch out some ideas. And it sounds like you would just be wasting a half an hour, but taking that break just to get some clarity outside the practice and away from everybody and away from your computer and your notifications and your emails and all of that, I think people would be really surprised sort of what comes out of their heads. And they can put that on paper. And so, you know, all you have to do is put it in your schedule. That's all I'm asking. Put it on there. I love that. I think that's more like that journaling, right? Where you kind of get the juices flowing, your, your yeah. hamster spinning on the wheel and start yeah. writing stuff down or have some questions that prompt you. And yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised what comes out, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. for me, that's what happens when I drive my car. And so it's kind of unfortunate because I can't write it down. But I call my husband and then I say, can you write this down quick? <laughs> he just hates it. But, you know, when I drive my car long distances, which I love, that's my choice of how to do a break. I feel like I have these really great epiphanies. Like, why am I doing it? Like, why am I banging my head against the wall for this when it's the solutions right here? And it's so simple. And I just wouldn't have thought of this sitting in front of my computer being interrupted, you know. So I think this is really important to find what works for you. I'd love for you to share one piece of advice with our listeners, and maybe that would be something you could give your younger self, should your younger self listen to a piece of advice, because <laughs> I know I wouldn't. Can you share something with our listeners that you feel is super valuable? Sure. I feel like a lot of people say this, but I think just stepping out of your comfort zone and doing that thing that makes you uncomfortable it's hard to expand our skills and gain our opportunities if we're not willing to put that sort of one foot in front of the other. And I think the biggest one that I see is conflict. Like just go have the conflict. It's okay. Just accept that it can be good. You're going to have this conversation constructively, obviously. And I think you're going to feel really good after it. And then the next time that you have to have a conversation with somebody or you're having a conflict from someone, it won't be so hard. And that's just a really obvious example. But you know, just doing that thing, stepping out of your comfort zone, 
maybe you want to teach a CE, do a CE course, and you're really nervous about it, contact your local specialty hospital because they usually have some sort of annual CE for managers or techs, and they're usually struggling to find topics and speakers. So if you're really passionate, just call them and just say, you know what, I have an idea, send an email. And it feels really uncomfortable, but once you get through it, it's just the greatest feeling in the world. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. Jade, this is my favorite part of the show where I ask you to tell us a story and protect the innocent and change the names if you need to. But tell us a story where you just couldn't believe what's happening before your eyes. Like chin hits the ground, palm hits the forehead. No way could you make this shit up story. Yes. Let's I, hear it. Yes. Um, there are so I can many. tell you've got one brewing. <laughs> I know. There are so many surrounding things staff have done, but I don't think I can share them because it just might get revealed who it is. But I going to client things, I can remember several years ago working ER overnight in the middle of St. Paul and having this woman come in and she's got this 21 year old cat and it smells like pee and it's shedding and it's got dandruff and I remember it's black and white and you know it's just that typical 21 year old cat and I had to take it back for some lab work and she was kind of cradling it like a baby and she didn't want to you know give her cat up and I was understanding and you know I'll bring her right back out and it's going to be just fine we're going to give her lots of love and so she was like okay okay and then she proceeded to give her cat a full broom with her tongue. Before <gasps> she oh to me. my God. Yes. And I was just like, all I could smell was like this pea cat smell. And I was just like, oh no. Oh, you are not seriously doing this right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. The same and, thing, David. I'm like, how did you not grow up? I know, I know. And thank God it's not like COVID times, because now if you uh, miss your cat, I'd be like, nope. Uh, <laughs> I'm not it's like, oh my gosh. For all of those Office fans out there, when Angela coughs up a hairball, I don't know if you guys watch The Office, but if anybody does, yeah. they'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> she's this crazy cat lady on the show, and she goes <coughs> and like oh pulls hair out of her mouth because she's groomed her cats. Oh, oh, oh my god! Wow. Awful. Oh my god. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Probably that time that I over micromanaged by giving someone a project and then completing the project. Tell me about your proudest moment. When I was interviewing a doctor recently, and she had done some snooping around about us, of course, calling various doctor friends, and she told me that two of our DVMs revealed that coming to jobs at AERC had saved their careers in veterinary medicine. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? 
I love veterinary medicine because there's such a variety in the medicine and the clients, endless growth opportunities. And if you're not happy doing what you're doing, you can pivot it up a different direction and still be in the industry. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? I decompress by going into my plant room with purple walls, alone without my children and reading a book. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I experience work guilt and mom guilt. And the only thing that I can do to balance it is just take it one day at a time and just get done what I can get done. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety at your practice? I lose a lot of sleep over staffing. Staffing, staffing, staffing. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I love getting up and having the opportunity to problem solve and have new ideas to new problems. Awesome. Thank you, Jade. Thank you. This, this has great. been wonderful. Thank you so much for it. coming on to the Positive Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. It was very fun. And for any team members, AERC is looking for staff. Yes, we are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yes, we are. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming around and have a great weekend. All right. Thank you. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.